you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Welcome to the Move the Six podcast. I'm Bucky Brooks, and today I am joined by one of my favorite college football writer extraordinaire, Bruce Feldman. How, how you doing? I'm doing great. Good to be on with you. I feel like uh, I feel like I don't get to talk to you guys enough, but I always feel like it's a big football fix for me. It's my favorite well, podcast. Yeah, no, it, it, it's so many different things um, that we can get into. Like, obviously, naturally, in our wheelhouse, we talk about the draft and you seeing the college guys kind of make their way. But before we can even get into that, um, Bruce, I got to ask you this because I haven't had a chance to call you. Like, what do you think of the college football landscape right now? I feel like it is the wild, wild west, and I cannot even keep up with what's going on between the transfer portal, NIL, and just the steady stream of conversation around people moving, going, coaches trying to figure out how to handle the new way of this college football world. What are your thoughts on what's going on? It's total uh, chaos at this point. And a lot of stuff that would go on behind the scenes, I feel like, or underneath the table, now, you know, the the running joke, I don't even know if it was a joke. NIL stands for now it's legal. So now you have a lot of 
boosters. You'll have a lot of people in, involved in the process. I, I think the front end of it where NIL was going, um, where you had a lot of athletes, you know, not just in football, in other sports, getting compensation for different things that they were doing. I think that is kind of where people were expecting it to go. And then I think where coaches knew it was eventually going to go, and this has probably gotten this way sooner than maybe some expected, was that other people were going to get involved. And I remember, Bucky, and you, you know, this time, this is a good like time stamp for both of us, is the day before the Elite 11, the, the first night of the Elite 11. Yeah. So it, we're at uh, Miracosta. And I remember I had filed a story. I talked to a couple of college coaches and it was on the, it was basically on the eve of NIL kind of kicking in. They, and I remember one specifically said, if, you know, we, you know, our boosters, you guys complain about, you know, the best recruits leaving our area to go someplace else. Now it's like, you got no excuses. It's put up or shut up. You want to do something about it. You can do something about it. And I remember filing that story and I was out on the high school field there um it was the first night i just remember you know here's you know malik willis and there's dtr and all these guys and i remember talking to my editor and she was like but that's not really how this rule is written and this is not like and i was like i'm Mm -hmm. just telling you what they're telling me this is where it is going this is what they're this is what is going to happen and i don't know how quickly it got out but you know you'd hear stories after the fact of yeah these players were you know, these high school recruits got paid X in September to commit to such and such. And then all of a sudden, you know, and you've seen and we know who some of the players are now who are getting seven figure deals and they have agents and lawyers working on their behalf to do these deals. And, it, and you know, you have some of these agents now taking top recruits or highly ranked recruits, however you want to refer to them, on shopping sprees where they're being basically shopped around to different schools. Who's going to jump in the bidding? Can these agents get the bidding war up higher into four, six million dollars? You know, at that at that price, you know. And I'm sitting there thinking, and Bucky, you, you know, you're, you're you're as immersed in this as anybody, um, seeing the kids at that at that level. I'm thinking, man, for that price, I hope this kid's going to be Cam Newton for them because that mm-hmm. is a ton you're putting on people. And the other end, I see, and you you know, you see these guys at the opening every year, is. You look at the the hit rate on five star quarterbacks, just the quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. That's a ten years. Maybe it's thirty percent live up to that kind of hype. I'm not saying that the other seventy percent don't end up starting or playing a little or whatever. But to expect Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields to be those guys, it usually doesn't happen. And that is before. Mm-hmm. All of this expectation and extra. And I'm not saying they don't deserve it. I'm not saying it shouldn't happen. I'm just saying now you are putting a lot on the 16, 17-year-olds who are thrown in the middle to deal with it. And so, you know, when I talk about the chaos, I think there's chaos on the coaching side. There's chaos on the roster management side. There's absolute chaos on the booster side. And I can only imagine what the chaos is like for the high school recruiting their families. Yeah, so – Bruce, you talk about being in that world. Like I'm currently going through it in a, on a smaller level. Uh, the high school where I coach at Granada Hills Charter, which is John Elway's alma mater, uh, we have a pretty prominent uh, recruit that has a lot of coaches coming through, and we haven't got to the point where NIL is a factor, but it is always kind of looming in the background because when coaches come through, they talk about you know we I'm having conversations with them before the recruit comes in, and I'm 
like, what's going on? How, and they're like, it's crazy. And some of them are saying, like, it's crazy because, you know, we can't really take many high school guys. But then if you get in the portal, it is maybe 50K at a minimum to, to talk to a running back or somebody like that. And I'm like, 50K at a minimum? <laughs> like, And so then is this free agent frenzy that I'm used to dealing with from an NFL level. But now that is what's happening uh, at the collegiate level. And then you look around and you're just seeing all of the stuff that's popping up. So you have the kid Addison from Pitt who wins the Bolitnikoff and he's done everything at Pittsburgh to be a guy that is like one of their top draft picks. And Oh, by the way, I'm getting some interest other places. Let me jump in the portal and just see what is there. It doesn't mean that I won't go back, but, and I just can imagine as a coach, it just makes it even more challenging to try and figure out, Hey, how do I keep my team together? How do I build a quote unquote team with all of the money flying off the shelves? And how do I integrate these new players that are coming in while some of these other guys are going out? I think now the job of being a college coach is more difficult than it's ever been when you come to building a team and a program. Yeah, because guys are getting recruited off your roster all the time. Signing day doesn't actually mean that much. It may mean something that you can put out a tweet or, you know, coaches maybe get signing bonuses off how many four or five stars they sign. But I think there's a, another level of it. And it's funny. I, I talked to when I did some draft stuff, I remember talking to um, some scouts and some NFL assistant coaches for this draft confidential story the week of the draft. And, and it came up about Sky Moore in particular. Right. And he was a really good player in the in the group of five level, you know, in the Mac. And I remember one uh, position coach said, or is it, I don't remember if it was a position coach or a scout. I remember the comment was along the lines of, you know, I give him a lot of respect and credit. He could have left and gone someplace bigger and he stayed loyal to them. And he stayed and he obviously had a really, really good um, last year there. But I just remember thinking, you know, you know of stories, whether it's, you know, this linebacker mm-hmm. leaves North Dakota State to go play in the SEC, you know, where he probably would have, you know, in the year they didn't have a good year, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you see examples. I remember another coach I know t- uh, was telling the same story of when he was at an SEC school. They took a player from a, a group of five. It was a quarterback. That kid, you know, where he was, he could have easily got drafted in the later rounds there. He took took a new start, maybe because he'd never, you know, had the bigger offer. It wasn't even a big, it was like a mm-hmm. lower level SEC school. It's still an SEC school, though. Um, and it didn't work out for him, you know. And so, I, you know, there's that expression, the grass is always greener. And I think, as you well know, you know, they will find you if you're really good, right? And so I think you're jumping into a different circumstance, but I think it's hard for recruits who maybe weren't big recruits coming out of high school to get that kind of that that buzz around now you're adding money into it you know like i remember um there was a quarterback years ago you remember it was a george woodfield guy dakota prucup yeah and dakota's from austin texas but he was not a big recruit he started out of montana state he's a good athlete Mm -hmm. he started to blow up and he was coming on the heels of vernon adams who like you know vernon was a little different deal because he had you know, obviously had a great receiver with him, but he torched Pac-12 teams when he played them at Eastern Washington. So people were like, okay, I, you know, he may not have ideal height. I, you probably played against him in high school, you know, now that I think yeah. about it. Yeah, we you did. Know. We coached against him. 
Yeah. So, but Vernon was a, you know, like it would be interesting now what Vernon Adams would command if he was coming out of height, coming out of college, you know, 5'11. I don't know what Vernon weighed, 180 pounds, but Vernon could ball and he was, and he did it against, against those teams. Right. And, you know, Pac-12 teams. And so whereas Dakota, I remember talking to him, he was looking at Oregon and also I think Michigan and Alabama came in late on him and he was a pretty thoughtful kid. And I just remember talking to him and he was just like, man, I got Jim Harbaugh on the phone. I got Nick Saban. It's just like, Mm -hmm. that's heavy for, and I'm not even talking about the money piece. I'm just talking about now all of a sudden they're really interested in you. Now for, for Jordan Addison specific case, you know, new offensive coordinator, his old offensive coordinator went to Nebraska his position coach, Brendan Marion, went to Texas. Um, you know, there's, you know, Kenny Pickett's obviously gone on to the NFL. I mean, I don't know how many of the variables change. I mean, you've heard parts about it, how Caleb Williams was the one who was kind of initiating on, you know, maybe on behalf of USC to say, hey, you know, checking in with you. What are you, what are you thinking about doing? This is before he's in the portal. Now he's in the portal. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if it's Alabama. I don't know if it's Oregon. I assume USC is a big factor and obviously Texas is a big factor. I mean, that's like, it's not like free agency, like you guys have, you know, at NFL, but it is free agency and it is, the stories aren't national, but some of them do get to that radar. Like, like Jordan Addison certainly has. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's an interesting thing, but you know, what's funny. I don't know if you remember a few years ago at elite 11. Um, and I can't remember if this was an open conversation amongst the quarterbacks where everyone was around, but maybe going back five to six years ago during that class, I remember there was a conversation, an open conversation. I can't, and I don't want to put Trent on it because I don't, I can't remember if Trent initiated or he was involved in it. So I'll just say it was a loose conversation, but the conversation was to all the quarterbacks, you need to get on a plan where you can graduate in three years. And if you graduate in three years, you now have options. You can graduate in three and go to the NFL if you're good enough. You can graduate in three and transfer, or you can graduate in three, stay where you're at, and go and get a master's or a graduate level degree while you continue to play. But it was the rush to try and put yourself in a position where at the end of your third year, you're a free agent. You have options and opportunities where you're a graduate of one school and you go. I feel like now that plan is certainly in place. And I think that plan is really a smart one for all the kids to have an opportunity to go because now you have options. But I feel like now what some kids might lose out on, like Addison. Addison would go down as one of the greatest players in Pittsburgh Panther history if he stays with it. Even if he goes, he'll do that. But what he may lose out on is what we call the prestige of being associated with that university forever. Because now you're bouncing around, you don't have that tie. And I feel like from that standpoint, not only the loyalty piece, but the life after piece. When you're 45 years old and you want to go back to that school and you recognize as one of those great players, an All-American, they want to put your name up in lights. I wonder how many of these guys will have those opportunities because they kind of chase the quick money and they don't think about like legacy plays down the line. Yeah, I don't I mean, I think it's hard a lot of times for a 20 year old to, to think about that. I mean, I'm just thinking about it as you were saying it. And I'm not even going back to like the, you know, the Dan Marino glory teams. I'm just thinking in in like the last 20 years, you had Antonio Bryan. I don't know how many people were. He was yeah. a phenomenal college receiver. And then yeah. it's Gerald. 
I mean, really could have won the Heisman. And then he obviously went on to have a great NFL career. Um, and I'm sure there's a bunch of others, you know, Tyler Boyd was really good. You know, you had yeah. guys kind of come through there, but I don't know how much, and I don't want to say this is Tyler, you know, this is um, Jordan Addison, you know, just thinking about Jordan Addison and not thinking about anything beyond that. Cause I think, you know, at the end of the day, if you were to line up all his options and say, okay, you could go to USC and play with Caleb Williams and obviously, mm-hmm. you know, Lincoln Riley's offense and those were, you know, like get coached by the same guy who coached CD lamb and, you know, Hollywood, Hollywood Brown, Brown and yeah, all those guys, yeah. dudes, you know, Michael Crabtree, you could go to Alabama. You got a Heisman trophy winning quarterback. <laughs> They've had like eight first round receivers in the last like five years, it feels like, right? Mm-hmm. And they just and they just lost two great receivers, right? You know, you just lost Mechie and obviously Jamison Williams. So there's a need there. Um, there's Texas, where you know, you have Sark. Sark's been around a bunch of really good offensive players. Uh, you have your same position coach who you just work with who helped you win the Blitnikoff, or you stay there, where again. Um, they're the first ones really believe in you. I mean, I can remember having a conversation with Pat Narduzzi in an off season about like, give me somebody to keep an eye on. And Jordan Addison was the one who responded. And Jordan Addison's not Larry Fitzgerald in terms of like, he's not a, yeah, yeah, not a size. He's, he's, he's not Jamison Williams explosive. I mean, he's a really good athlete, but he's not that. So, you know, credit to Pitt. They, they developed him, they found him and they went in on him. And I just think this is the nature of everything where we're at. It's, it's honestly, it's hard. It's, it'd be hard for me as somebody with a, you know, wife and kids to think about, like, I'm thinking about bottom line stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. you're just in the moment, you know, and I think that that's how we live right now. And I mean, I, I think once the, the kind of toothpaste was out of the tube, it would in Jordan Addison's case where people are even talking before he was even officially in the portal was like, okay, now what? Now there's mentions of Tam, there's allegations of tampering, yeah. And there's like, even if he decides to come back, I know there's some people there who are like, well, if he comes back, is he going to play like two games and then opt out? Because, you know, you, now you have examples of, you know, Jamar Chase and Micah Parsons. They were great rookies. They didn't play there, you know, the last yeah. college football. Now I'm not saying he's them athletically. I think, I think Micah Parsons is a generational talent. I think, uh, you know, I think Jamar Chase is different than Jordan Addison, but I think there's probably examples of people going, you know what, you may not need to play that third year of college football. You know, I mean, I'm not saying he's thinking it, but like if you're an evaluator, do you really need to see more from Will Anderson to think, ooh, yeah, top five pick? I mean, probably not. Yeah, no, it's funny because that was the name that was a come to because that's the conversation more and more. Um, can't wear where I read it, but I know there was a conversation like, hey, coming off of the heels of success that we saw with Jamar Chase and Michael Parsons, who didn't play their final years, they basically just trained year-round. Jamar Chase in particular trained like a madman, uh, talked to his trainers, how he changed his body, his explosiveness, and those things, and how it worked. Will some of these guys, particularly with NIL deals or whatever, will they kind of cash out, go and find the facility to camp out, spend a year becoming the best that they can become as an athlete, then as a player, and then re-enter the football landscape as a potential draft pick. You know, a guy who set out, plays two years, and as soon as they popped after those two years, yeah, I'm done. I'm going to go train and get ready for the draft. I worry about that. But I also feel like on our end, from a scouting standpoint, 
we're still trying to figure it all out because years ago, man, it would be frowned upon if a guy was set out in a bowl game. If a guy was perceived to be selfish and doing things on his own accord as opposed to doing it with the team, he would be he would receive demerits in the room when it came to that. And now everyone's like, yeah, so he didn't stay with his team. Oh, well, we'll go get him because he's a good player. Yeah. And look, in Jamar Chase's case, I mean, his last college game was against Clemson. That was a first-round cornerback he was abusing in the in the game. I mean, I just remember being there. I was like, he, he oh, was like, right, we're, yeah, we're down 10. I'll take over. And he took over the game. Like, Michael Parsons, to me, is such a different deal than I don't know who you'd be the last person to go, okay, that's the linebacker who's kind of like him or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. But, I think those are, you know, somewhat those are special cases. You better have great film, obviously, like a Will Anderson does. I remember like probably 10 years ago, there was talk about how Clowney might have been able to sit that year. You know? Oh, yeah. You know, and I don't know. He didn't. He, he played. And it didn't seem like he had a real option not to. But, you know, I don't know if that did anything for him, you know, or whatnot. And so I just think so much of it is a case by case basis on this. Um, but the last thing you you would think you want to do is give somebody more pause. But I mean, look, Christian McCaffrey, he's sat out the bowl game. He's mm-hmm. had a bunch of injuries in the NFL. Only anybody questions his ability. It's the yeah. durability, right? So Yeah, now this thing. So it's funny because early in the conversation, you talked about we were all there the day the NIL thing dropped. And at the time, versus it seems like a, a lifetime ago. It does, doesn't it? It's not even a year yet. I know the, the buzz was all about Spencer Rattler. He was and, already old there, wheeling and dealing. In, uh, in shades on, has his thing on, phone attached to his ear, trying to figure it out. Right, not throwing at all. Not throwing at all, not showing off or whatever. Um, and in that year, Spencer Rattler has gone from being viewed as the number one guy in last year's draft, the 2022 draft, to losing his job, transferring to South Carolina, and kind of rebuilding his career while still taking shots at Oklahoma for how everything went down. Uh, when you think about Spencer Rattler and what has transpired over the last 12 months, where are you at with him? Okay, so I would ask you this. You use the word, and I don't use the word he was viewed as. So I would ask you, um, you, you worked as an NFL mm-hmm. scout. Like, was that media draft analyst? you know, hype or was it, cause he's not, I mean, we both seen him. He's not, you know, like there's Kyler Murray who's super athletic and different, but he's like pretty average frame guy, mm-hmm. not as quarterback. So like, where is, are there the wow traits to be first pick of the draft guy? No. And see, that was the, that was a bit of the issue that I had with him. And this is sometimes I always worry when I look at quarterbacks. So that I'm sometimes I'm too close to the flame. Because you see him in high school, and sometimes whatever impression they make on you as high schooler, it's hard for you to get that out the head. Not only how they play, but maybe their mannerisms or maybe the perceived football character that you kind of get by being around them. Sometimes it's hard. And so, look, by all accounts, everyone knows this. Spencer Rather is on the edge when it comes to cockiness and uh, athletic arrogance and all of those things. And sometimes that can work against him. And so when I looked at him, I, I always look at quarterbacks and I'm looking for what is the superpower? Like, what is the one thing that separates him from everybody else? It wasn't the athleticism. The arm talent was good, like pretty good, very good, if we want to call it. I won't say it was like exceptional Josh Allen type talent. And then you think about the system and all those other things. And when I looked at him compared to, look, Kyler and Baker and those guys, I was like, OK, he's fine. But I don't know if he's 
in the stratosphere where those guys dominated at Oklahoma. He needed to have a dominant season where I could kind of warm up to like, okay, he's in that class. And when he struggled and those things, like it made me pause. And then, you know, man, I think the thing is real. Maybe I shouldn't have watched QB one on him because it kind of gave too much behind the scenes. And I think he has a hard time shaking that. And so anything that kind of brings me back to that, I'm like, see, there he is. That's the guy that I saw at high school at Arizona. I just don't know which one I'm getting if he gets to the pros. Yeah, we, we did a big story on him right before, right around uh, South Carolina spring game. And I talked to some of your some of your colleagues who've worked at the Elite 11, have known him back to – and one of them brought up the QB1 show and about how it was almost like he thinks that's how he needs to act. And, um, you know, one of the people I talked to – I talked to multiple people at the Elite 11, but one of them – you know, in very descriptive terms, it was almost like, wait till you hear my music and then you'll understand, you know, it was like the too cool for school guy. And I think, you know, some of that you can attribute to being young and immature. You can attribute it to being, you know, put in a position where it wasn't, I don't know if it was a show. I don't know if it was a documentary. I don't know quite what it was, but I think sometimes and it's, it's a different problem because you didn't have this, let's say when, um, you know, when Matt Leinart was in high school or mm-hmm. Quinn was in high school where there wasn't cameras on them all the time or social media. And I think some of it, it's almost like, and I don't think a lot of some of these, some of these players are, are bad people or bad kids at all, but I think sometimes it's almost like they're acting how they think a five-star should act. Yeah. Um, grew yeah. up in that kind of thing. And that's where it is. And so I think it's a challenge for them to manage it. Right. Especially when all of a sudden there's a perception now on top of it. Now, it's like you're always kind of defined as a five star. It's unfortunate. Like I did that quarterback book and it was back. I remember one of the quarterbacks was a Southern California kid who was at one point was at almost like in the middle of his junior was rated as the top player, not just quarterback in his class. And that that kid was dealing with so much like he'd spent years work with private quarterback coaches. And I felt bad uh for him and it was just kind of i think it's just a lot for a lot of kids to wear and embrace and very few have the personality to kind of own it and thrive in it right you know i feel like you see it a little bit you know sometimes in like special basketball players who are like man that guy's really comfortable in their own skin but a lot of times it's like you know, either they get, you know, get hyped up. It's a, you know, a Tate Martell. He's a great seven on seven player. He's got great players around him. And then, you know, everybody's buzzing because it's like, okay, he's going to bring these players to wherever he goes. So it's like, you're a five-star ambassador and and all that. And I just think it's, it's hard. Obviously these kids are really talented because they wouldn't be able to play at all. You know, they're not just like the normal high school player, but you put them in with super teams and seven on seven and the expectations. And I mean, I just think of some of the players um, even last year. So Quinn Ewers comes out to that same elite 11. And I remember, you know, I'd heard about him and I, but he was on my team. He was on my team. So here's the tough deal. And I'll I'll get, I wanted to ask you on that in a second, but it was like, I remember somebody saying to me, one of the writers was like, he is the most highly ranked quarterback in the history of like, evaluations online because of however 247's algorithm was or whatever it was 
And now he plays at a really elite, he played at a really elite high school program. And he definitely seems like he's got arm talent, but I know that there was like some other questions where people were like, all right, I'm not, you know, like he's good. Is he great? I don't know. He didn't seem to be, he seemed to struggle a little bit when we watched him at the opening, but you know, he's working with different receivers, you know, who knows what else he was, you know, kind of going through at that point. It's a lot for them to just kind of to, to wear, you know? I mean, you had the flip side of it, like two years earlier, you're in Texas and you got the the quarterback who's from Southern California that nobody really knows. And then he blows up at the opening. And now, you know, CJ Stroud is like, oh yeah, why would he not have been, you know, an elite guy? But he wasn't. And he blew up at probably at the right time. Whereas the other guys almost like they implode at that time. And it's like, it's an interesting like, tale of two paths. Um, so a couple of things, because you, you touched on so much um, with that. One, the 707 world, because there's a lot made of that. People either love it or hate it. I think there is, uh, there's a lot to be gleaned from watching guys in 707. I think you see now the young guys that are coming into the league, the cornerbacks, the wide receivers, the, the throwers. Uh, the reason a lot of those guys like Jamar Chase and others are able to have success is because they run a, a million routes uh, from the time they were adolescents. And so the game is still the same when they get to the upper levels. Quarterbacks have more reps than they've ever had. Uh, you think about the number of repetitions in terms of throwing the ball and seeing coverage and doing all those things, provided that it's done right. Like, yeah, it's beneficial. That said, 707 is different. And I think what happens is and I love uh, – I am a star chaser. I love looking at the rankings. I love the, the five-star, four-star stuff because I do believe there's a correlation between when these guys put five stars on them there's a level of talent and ability and potential that typically translates to these guys are going to have a chance to be the guys that we talk about. I think it's been proven time and time again, they don't necessarily miss on those guys. But now when I get to Quinn Ewers, the thing that troubled me a little bit is I heard so much about him before I was around him that in my mind, because you know, elite 11, man, you, the guys that have come through there, like when you see Trevor, you see Justin Fields, you see Tua, and some of the other quarterbacks come through there. It was a wow factor immediately. And with Quinn, I didn't get that in terms of watching him being like, wow, I've never seen that. It was like, hey, I've heard a lot. Like, when am I going to see that stuff? And so I'm still kind of in wait and see mode because to me, he was underwhelming in terms of the performance um, that we're around. But I haven't had a chance to see him play real college football. So I'm really waiting to see, A, am I putting too much in what I'm basing off of 707? Let's see him play with pads on and all that other stuff. Because remember, shortly after that, he left his school. He went to Ohio State. We never saw him again. So I, I didn't get a chance to have the follow-up of, oh, here he is when you were playing on the ESPN game that everyone sees. Oh, okay. He's different when you put his team, his playbook, and that. It's been a great mystery. So I'm really kind of fascinating to see if he lives up to the hype because, look, the hype machine has been building at Texas about what he's going to do and how he's going to bring Texas back. I just still kind of wait and see mode. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. So, like, you had a couple, and I'm probably going to leave off a few others because there's a bunch of Texas kids there, right? So it was Quinn Ewers. It was uh, Cade Klubnick. It was uh, the big baseball player from A&M, uh, Wegman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I know there was a kid from Flower Mound who was committed to Florida, you know, like and I feel like there was maybe a couple others. It was like, you know, there's definitely some talented kids. And I remember watching 
Klubnik and you're like, oh, I could, everything seemed like it was pretty easy for him. And I, I mean, just in the mm -hmm. little I saw of him and I'm like, yeah, I could see why he'll probably be a really good college quarterback. I have no idea beyond that, you know, yeah. thing. but like just in terms of like, it's interesting to watch temperament, just being around the lead 11 for a long time, you kind of can get a feel for people. It doesn't mean that it's, you know, going to work out a certain way because you can kind of get enamored with somebody's, you know, certain persona or how they are. And sometimes guys are just really polished people, you know, like Trent's quarterback. I know Trent wasn't there last year and I'm blanking uh, uh, Richardson, you know, like talking to him was like talking to a 30 year old. Yeah. I remember talking to him coming off the field. I'd written about him and I was like, all right, well, parents did a really good job. You know, I don't know how physically, how, how good he actually is. He's obviously a good quarterback, but just like, you're, you're interested to see how they relate because all these guys are coming in like with so much hype and it's so much more than it was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. you know? And it's just like, I always thought it was fascinating back in the old elite 11 days when it was in orange County. And this made a, this, I think this is before Trent, Trent screwed mm -hmm. up. Brian Bob Johnson. I think it was yeah. Brian, Brian, Bob Brian Johnson Stokes was too. Yeah. And they would have, their counselors and some other guys come back. I just remember like listening to like Tyrod Taylor when he was at Virginia Tech and Tyrod Taylor, you know, even when he was like, first of all, he always looked older than he was. And he always kind of like carried himself like, the yeah, old, it was like yeah. a 39 year old man in like a 21 year old's body. And you'd hear them kind of share their story. And I feel like their stories were a lot different then because they were not the, they were not so steeped in the star system and everything else. I'm not saying it was better or worse, but I just thought it was a really interesting perspective to hear how these guys had these paths there that were just like, because I think there was like, at that point, not everybody knew everybody now because of social media, because of Twitter, because of, you know, everything else, like, you know, so much about like who's across the country. You know, back then it was like, who is this guy again? And, you know, just kind of like they would just show up and then you kind of you kind of feel them or maybe it wouldn't. And and so I think some of that factors into like what honestly some of these quarterbacks are wearing and can they like what they're wearing emotionally, I guess I should say. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's fascinating. And, you know, it kind of leads us to the other stuff, because. And thinking about this next quarterback class, it's funny because 2022 quarterback class was really dismissed and deadpan. And look, it it turned out to be that a lot of the hype leading up to the draft was kind of overinflated on our end in the media about because we have one guy going the first round, then everyone goes after the third round. This next class has now been hailed as a banner class. And the guys at the top are guys that everyone is really familiar with because they not only have been on the major stage lead 11 beyond for a while, but they both play at major programs. And so you got Bryce Young and then C.J. Stroud. And what's fascinating to me is Bryce Young wins the Heisman Trophy, but I feel like everyone talks about C.J. Stroud. So when you've just kind of casually talked to people about those two guys, like what has been some of the feedback that you've gotten? Yeah, I, I think C.J. Stroud is very natural. Like, I just helped a colleague out with, like, a scouting report in Ohio State. Everybody, you know, you lose two great receivers who go in the first round, and a lot of people I talk to think the best one is still there, and that's Jackson's mm -hmm. big butt. You have a loaded backfield. Now, the offensive line is not great, but maybe the new O-line coach, Justin Fry, will kind of improve that. But everything you saw, the way he finished the year, um, we did a game they played against Maryland and Maryland had no cornerbacks in that game. 
and they just lit them up. But I think CJ's trajectory is really ideal, right? He's a Southern California kid who, for whatever reason, was kind of a little obscured. Like like I said, what did he have? Fresno State, the only offer maybe it was something like that when he went to the opening. And I mean, it was it was light because he was on my team. It was super light. Like no one knew. I don't even know if he was expected to be the starter. I can't remember who else we had on the team, but it wasn't like, oh, we got CJ Straw. He's the guy. It wasn't until something clicked about midway through that event that you looking at him, you're like, hey, uh, this guy is really good because he had a bunch of Ohio State wide receivers, Fleming and somebody else that he was throwing to, and he just had a natural connection. And, um, yeah, so I don't know why he was lightly regarded on a, on a major scale when it comes to what he was able to do as an elite 11 prospect. Yeah. And then just from a physical side, like I saw him last um, summer, he came down to throw with Jordan Palmer in, um, in orange County and, and Desmond Ritter was there and I'm, mm. you know, Josh Allen was there, Kyle Allen was there, but like, I hadn't seen him probably um, maybe I hadn't seen him in, in a year or two. Mm. And he's not like, like you knew he was bigger. I didn't realize he told me he put on like 28 pounds since he was at Ohio State. He went from like 192 to like almost 220 or something like that. Yeah. Didn't look like, you know, like I, I go back again to my <laughs> Elite 11 last year. The first thing I noticed is that guy looks like a linebacker. That was Malik, you know, Malik Willis was a yeah. SEC linebacker. Like, even still, CJ doesn't look like, you know, he's carrying a different kind of 220. It's not a bad weight. It's just like you look and say, okay, this guy's projecting. He's going to keep growing into his body. He is in a really good system for what he's doing. I think I would have been looking at him. I'm like, yeah, I could see him as first pick of the draft. I, I Like what box will he not check? I don't know. He's a great kid. Uh, high intelligence, um, leadership ability, just in the little time I was around him. Like it was great. Then you talk to the Ohio State people. It's all exemplary. Uh, he steps in and I think, just how cool he is in that environment because no one will say this, but I don't care what anyone says. Like Justin Fields is still big shoes he had to step into. Um, and I know Justin got beat up during the pre-draft process, but his final two oh, seasons at Ohio State, yeah. yeah, like he was he was a really good player. So CJ steps in and this offense doesn't skip a beat. Like they're a machine going up and down the field, the playmakers that he's using, the way that he pushes the ball down the field, all that stuff is terrific. And when you look at the size, the talent, the stretch, he is, as we say, like he's a prototype. He's exactly what we've been looking for at the position for the last 25, 30 years in terms of size, this athletic enough, but he's a pocket passer. He's an old school classic player. I think the one struggle with a little bit is Bryce Young, not because Bryce Young isn't a, a great player, but because part of the NFL draft is the beauty pageant. And when I look at Bryce, and it was Bruce is just one of those things that stood out to me. I'm watching him play Georgia, and I'm watching it on TV. And there's a TV timeout, and it's Bryce Young standing there, and it's the Georgia D-line. And somehow, I don't know why the camera was behind, you know, the, the huddle or whatever, but you could see that, and it was like, wow, either Georgia has giants or Bryce Young is a lot smaller than you think. And I'm saying this, even though I've been around him. I think the latter, right? Because Georgia has what, yes. you know, they have NFL dudes, right? That's what it is. I right. mean, the thing that would, would give me pause a little bit 
on, and I'm saying for first pick of the draft, I'm not saying for top 15 pick with Bryce, is the comparison I've heard a lot is like Russell Wilson. The only thing that I gives me a little call, like Russell Wilson, as you've seen, lower body is like an NFL running back. What is he like? Five, 10, 220? Yeah, he's what? thick. And he's always been he's always been kind of thicker, lower body. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like the Mahomes, like it's like that Mahomes like middle infielder, like athleticism with like a fullback's body or something, like or torso. And I don't know, is is Bryce Young gonna get to be five, ten and a half, two oh five when he plays where you you know, like he's not Kyler. I mean, Kyler's a different kind of athlete. I feel like he plays differently than Kyler. But the mm-hmm. the comparison just is undersized quarterback and how, you know, is it a durability concern, you know, at that point? I don't know the answer to that because what you said I think is is true. Like every, you love that how he handles pressure and you love that he's accurate and I think he's intangibles wise he's great. You know, everything, just the durability thing is like, ugh, that's the one thing that would give me a little pause. Yeah. That, that is the one thing because look, he can deal. And I think he showed a few different times last year that he's legit. I think uh, the way he orchestrated the drive versus Auburn at the end of the year to me was like big time. It was clutch. It was a tough environment. He figured it out. They were struggling all game, but then when look, all the chips were pushed into the middle of the table, he found a way to get it done. Um, even in the championship game, like we can say this, like they, this team looked different when they had Jameson Williams. Jameson yeah. Williams plays that game may turn out to be a different kind of outcome. And so he has all of that stuff. I think some of the wait and see, and it's not his fault, but as scouts, sometimes we can get into scouting the helmet. And so the last two guys that have come out of Alabama, Tua Tungabaloa and Mac Jones. And so Mac Jones, there's more of a positive feel to Mac Jones because of how it kind of ended in New England and those things. And then with Tua, for whatever reason, there feels to be this this negativity, right? And so I feel like some of that will be baked into the Bryce Young evaluation. Which one is he? Is he a product of this super system that they have with all these players and this stuff or whatever? And so he, which is very difficult, kind of has to prove that he's a standalone star without the support of everything that is Alabama. And if he does that, then I think it might be easier to kind of digest some of the size concerns. He's a first rounder for sure. But I think it's trying to figure out when you have Bryce Young versus some of the other guys that could be in this class that might have more of the prototypical size and dimensions. That conversation in meeting rooms is going to be a tough one because people talk about the Miami kid and some of the other guys that are coming through. Yeah. And that, again, it, it, to me, it just comes down to how concerned are you with them being able to hold up, you know, at that size? I mean, again, you know, Kyler wasn't, you know, you you even hear it. I just remember like even with quarterbacks who were like, even when Goff was coming out, I remember mm-hmm. 415 pounds, he had a narrow frame. He's a different kind of quarterback. And I'm not saying Bryce yeah. is talented, but it's just that comes up, you know, and and. Uh, as you said, it's a, it's a physical position. We've seen injuries, and it's not to say CJ is Josh Allen either, mm-hmm. um, or is you know is Ben Roethlisberger. But you know, I, I, you feel better about a guy who's probably going to be by the time he goes through the draft process, CJ is probably going to be like almost two hundred thirty pounds or two twenty five, as opposed to one ninety six or whatever he's going to be. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring. Your day immediately gets better. 
That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair? Or to have hair plugs. I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay. So you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah. Like, check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, <laughs> hey, hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you know have to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah. But I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot. And now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but. All right, so what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. Though. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. 
And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Um, so look, one of the things that we always love is when you eventually release your freaks. So, and I know you still, it's a work in progress, but is there any, any names that, uh, an old scout needs to kind of pay attention to? Because here's what has stood out. And here's one of the things that was annoying to me about the draft process. And I get it. Cause I guess I'm on, I'm on the media side, so I have to do it. The conversation with Aiden Hutchinson drove me crazy because I was like, are people not paying attention to the athleticism that this guy has and the documented numbers that he put up at Michigan and watching him at the combine. And yet I still felt like he was pegged as the try hard defensive end, motor guy, rah, rah, high motor guy. And I was like, man, we're doing such a disservice to what he brings or whatever. Is it anybody that I need to start paying attention to early? Uh, I'm going to hold off for this for a little bit, but the one thing I would say with Aiden Hutchinson, the thing I feel like got him more than anything is people talk about him like getting like 26 inch arms. You know, it was like, I feel like it was arm length because I remember talking to one particular line coach in the NFL who was not a huge fan of his. He was like, he's a good player. I just don't know if I would, if he's first pick of the draft kind of athleticism. And we started to go back and I'm like reading off the Bosa's measurables compared to, you know, what their, what their 10 yard split was. And it was like, you know, those, those other guys were not like, who was the, the super uh, explosive edge guy from Mississippi state who came out like four years ago. Oh, Montez sweat, Montez sweat. Like, it's not like a lot of those guys are doing four, four, three, right. They're not away or whatever. Like they're running seven, one or whatever. And, you know, like I love the numbers as much, if not more than anybody, but sometimes it's like, okay, you know, is he disruptive or not? You know, yeah, it was it, it was hard. Like it was hard. Two guys that were hard, right? And I feel like the process can be hard. I feel like, and it's our fault because we kind of make the draft a bit of a soap opera. So we look for storylines that we can talk about to kind of draw in interest. I feel like Aiden Hutchinson fell prey to the storyline on being the tryhard guy, and then I feel like some of the stuff around Kayvon Thibodeau was a little overblown that I think we forgot some of what he was able to do on the field. And we became more focused on the brand and the narrative of Kayvon Thibodeau, the brand. Yeah. I had done a big story on Thibodeau and all the really cool things he is doing and plans to do off the field um, back in September, I guess it was mm-hmm. and very thoughtful, big picture. And big picture guy. Um, and it, you know, he feels a little bit like the guy who was, because he was, you know, he's been a, an end, a commodity for, you know, for five years, you know? And so I think some of it is the combination of, okay, was, you know, I, I think sometimes, you know, his comments, I've, I didn't hear them live, but during the national mm-hmm. title game, because he did like a live stream with Fox sports. Yeah, he did. I, it, it was he a said, lot. Yeah, like I think he's given people fodder because mm-hmm. 
He is very well-spoken. He is a good talker. He's a good talker in a way that a lot of times, you know, most like, you know, he's advanced in that. You can have a lot of really good players who just are not as comfortable in front of a microphone and just kind of be off the cuff. And I think, so you have that. And I think that that, you know, it almost always rubs people the wrong way. Yes. I cannot think of somebody I would say who's come out of, come out of college who I wouldn't say is like, and I use the term well-spoken, like when, I covered Baker a lot when I was, you know, when he was at Oklahoma. We put a bunch of features on him. Baker got in some trouble. Baker would, you know, like would would be polarizing. And I'm not saying Baker is Aaron Rodgers as a player or anything like that. But I'm just saying mm-hmm. I saw how Baker handled it. Like you could be in there like, all right, we're going to ask Baker some questions that's probably not – the school is not going to like. And Baker would handle it great. Um, I, I feel like there's not that many guys who we say, okay, this guy – is very comfortable being the voice bigger than a program or whatever is like their own. Like mm-hmm. I was one of those guys. I can't think of that many players who are really good players who also fit in that category. Like clearly you can see Micah Parsons kind of has that, but I, he wasn't that way at Penn state. He like, was different. And, and it's a different level of polish. See, I think the thing with Kayvon Thibodeau and it's kind of one of those things. Like I think you saw, um, in the scouting world. So the former Bear scout that was fired shortly after the draft because he talked about poor hungry and driven. He talked about the PhD acronym and it kind of it was a backlash in terms of the way that it was portrayed or kind of put out on the player. Uh, sometimes in the room, we do get caught up in like, hey, we want these guys where football is everything. And so anything that may be perceived to take away from that is viewed as a negative. I think because Kayvon Thibodeau was so I would say thoughtful and articulate, and I would say such a deep thinker. I think for some, they're like, well, what does he really care about it? Is he really going to care about the game? Is he going to love it or whatever? But as as I looked at it as a parent, I'm like, well, yeah, that's kind of how you want your kid to be beyond just sports or whatever. And so um, it kind of had his own legs and those things. But I felt like he was a guy that, look, he'd been hailed as the number one overall recruit. He'd been celebrated as a dominant pass rusher and those things. And yeah, there was some stuff on tape that you didn't like in terms of the effort, but man, the stuff that was his superpower when he good stuff is the good stuff. Yeah. yeah, no When he flashed it, like that stuff is scary and dangerous and those things. Anybody else? Because uh, Trayvon Walker was a guy that was a prize. Number one, anybody else that was drafted, that was a surprise or someone that you were like, Hey, let me weigh in on this person going wherever just because it was a surprise or deal. You know, I remember talking to somebody about Nicobe Dean and he said, and this was a scout and he was like, I'm kind of worried for him that he's on the list to be there. Meaning like I could see him falling. I just remember thinking like when NFL Network showed film, a highlight film of him, I actually was going to text your buddy DJ and go, is there anybody here who has a more impressive, like, like 30 mm-hmm. second clip than what they showed him Nicobe Dean? I mean, there are really fast guys in Michigan who Nicobe Dean embarrassed in that game, right? And mm-hmm. I know all the coaches I've talked to, it's like, you know, he's got a 3-5 in, in mechanical engineering. And I remember talking to him at the Combine about a, a, what that takes. Like, like I get it. The box he's not checking is you want his arms to be longer and you want him to be taller. And I'm sure medically there must have been something. And I knew mm-hmm. at a pro day that there was a hesitation on where he is in that. And it's a physical position. Also, know one of the guys I know on the Eagle staff was elated 
He's like, I don't know why he's still, why he, he fell to mm-hmm. us. Um, but we're glad it, it worked out that way. Like, I'd be shocked if he's not a really good NFL player unless injuries get to him. You know, like, just, yeah. you know, again, I get why length matters. Maybe I don't understand it the way to the degree that people actually work in football and coach it at that level can explain it. But I was like, man, this guy was such a good player. And he, you know, he's so smart and he plays fast. Like you telling me he can't be, you know, he's not going to hit the ground running there and be a, be a impact guy for them. Uh, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. He, he, he was like, it's so funny, man. Cause he was a, a hard one after I met him before I met him. I was all over. Love the way he played. Look at the tape. You see him, man, his instincts, his reactions, his ability to diagnose, man, he plays at another speed. Um, we've had conversations on the podcast here about Luke Keekley and Luke Keekley's ability to just detail what he sees, what he anticipates, how he plays fast, all that other stuff. Nicobe Dean strikes me as a collegiate version of that kind of savant in terms of being able to kind of see it, diagnose it, and say, oh, I see it on tape, I'm going. And he plays that fast. The one thing that struck me is when I did an interview with him at the combine and he stood beside me, he was so much smaller than I anticipated. Like I would hear people talk about the Jonathan Vilma thing, but I felt like Jonathan Vilma had maybe more thickness. Yeah, he's probably like just a little, yeah. just a little thicker than the Kobe Dean. And look, to be not, I mean, it's not his fault. Maybe he was coming off. I'm imagining now like MJD walked up next to you for this. <laughs> was, that, was he that's short? Yeah. So so it, it wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't even that. It was just, and he might have been in rehab mode. So he wasn't thick where he'd been kind of like busting maybe out the waist or yeah. maybe the shoulder and, and that stuff. And so I just was like, man, okay, in the league, in your mind, you're trying to think, okay, well, who is like him that's having success? And so you go through the names and I'm like, well, Levante David from Nebraska was like kind of smaller and lighter and kind of did it. His speed, I think his times were a little different than what Nicobe would have posted, but. And then the other thing was like, okay, he's not going to be for everybody. But for a team that has big bodies up front that are going to let him kind of play clean where he runs and chase, I think N'Kobe Dean might not like the draft position, but I think he landed in the right spot. Meaning the way that they will utilize him will not kind of expose some of the stuff that people may have questions on. I think he's in the right spot to play the game the way that he's always played at Georgia. And I think he can have a high level of success there. Yeah, I, I just thought he was a fun player to watch. And, I, you know, I'm always interested to see how, like, you know, somebody you think is great in college. And then for whatever reason, you know, especially if it's not injury related, it just doesn't click. And you're like, oh, I got that wrong. I mean, I will definitely feel like, you know, like there was a, you guys did a podcast last summer with Luke Keekley, right? Yeah. And, it was, I remember listening to outside and there was a part in it where his rookie year, he's talking, he does a lot of talking about Thomas Davis now, you know, great, mm. like what a great teammate and, and uh, leader and mentor he was. But there was a part where I, something he says where I don't know if he's just not physical enough and it's like, oh, I can't get away with this here in the NFL. And I don't know if he ever really, like, I always wondered like, okay, what exactly was it that enabled him to just get right by the shortcoming or the thing he clearly knew he like, Ooh, this is a, I don't have this, you know, or whatever, like where it's just like, I don't know if it's the, the ability to be so violent that some guys have it that clearly it sounds like Thomas Davis did. Um, 
I think I think some of when when it came to Keekly, Keekly talked about being like at Boston College. He would just run around blocks. He would just go see it and do it and those things. And he talked about how he would watch Thomas just blow up and destroy folks. But Bruce, my experience, I believe sometimes, man, the room can have an impact. Like the peer pressure, it's a little contagious where you're sitting in the room with Thomas Davis and you guys are watching tape together and you never want Thomas Davis to feel like the guy beside him is not tough like him. And so sometimes you naturally ramp it up because you're in, in an environment where that's the expectation. I think for Keekly, he just learned how to kind of get through it and go through it. And it's that fine line between, hey, I'm going to prove people that my weakness is not a weakness or I'm going to be so good with my strengths that you never even pay attention to what my shortcoming may be. I'm going to make so many plays that you can be like, yeah, he may not be the most physical, but he makes every play on the field. Um, I mean, I I love the hearing the nuance of when there is something that like maybe it is a shortcoming, maybe it's something that like, you know, again, he was an awesome player at BC. And I just even think back to the recruiting stories about him, where one of the guys I know on the Duke staff was like, well, when I think when people saw him walking around with glasses on, they thought he was a nerdy kid. Hey, we're going to take the other number three who went to Notre Dame as opposed to. (laughs) It's funny. Uh, I wanted to tell you this. Um, The piece that you did in The Athletic on film evaluation, where you had all the college coaches kind of break down like what they look for, whatever. if God, if our listeners haven't checked it out, they need to check it out because it was fascinating for me. Like I learned and it's, it's always great when you have people kind of share little tips and secrets. So that was a fascinating read. I'm going to text you and tell you like, hey, man, that was great because I learned a lot like hearing those guys just kind of discuss what they look for in each position when they're doing the recruiting things. I think there's obviously some carryover for when you're looking at NFL talent and prospects and what translates and what works at the next level. Yeah. One of the ones I remember on that was like Dylan McCullough, who's like so impressive to be around when he was at USC. And I was like, okay, what do you got? And he was like, he starts talking about, yeah, if this kid is like at halftime is like seven carries for 13 yards, is he going to shut it down? Or is like, you know, he's looking for body language and Mm -hmm. so into the nuance of stuff where I was like, all right, this is why these guys are professionals, you know, because you can, um, you know, they, I always use the term kind of reverse engineering because they know what it's, you know, what it's supposed to look like. But then what are all those things that like they can see in great people that maybe when it's not going great, that these are the things that matter, you know, um, it's just really fascinating to kind of be in the weeds on that. You know, that's, I love that stuff. Well, I do too. And what I love more is you coming on and having great conversations on the pod. I'm glad you were able to give us an hour to just chat all things football, particularly college football. We look forward to having you back on the podcast again in the near future. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Bucky. Always a pleasure. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. 
Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless.